afternoon. I, this is Talk to Be Well, and I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon. Here with me today are Billy and Finn. June is Pride Month, and these teens have joined us today to talk about the importance of Pride Month, about LGBTQ mental health, and anything else we can think to talk about. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. So let's get started. I'd like to welcome Billy and Finn, and, and Susie is able to join us. Susie, welcome. Uh, yay, good. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I'd like you all to take a second, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and tell us why Pride Month is important to you. Finn, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Thanks, Robin. Hey, everybody. My name is Finn Jacobson. I'm a rising junior uh, in high school living in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I think that Pride Month is important to me because um, it's a time to acknowledge the history that isn't taught in schools, uh, the history that allowed LGBT people to be where we are today, um, to mostly have the privilege to exist and live our lives as ourselves um, without fear of prosecution and persecution. And I think that uh, Pride Month is not in June for no reason. Um, it does commemorate um, events and riots that's relevant in this time that led to the birth of our the movement for our rights. And that's what's really important to me is remembering the advocacy of, um, of our people that led us here to where we are. Thanks. Billy, how about you? Yeah. Um, I'd say for me, it really started, it started out originally as just an outlet for me to be able to like feel safe and express myself. And it was like, okay, yo, what specifically for this month? I can be whatever the fuck I identified as. Um, and then when I eventually became more comfortable with my, um, identity it <laughs> it became an opportunity to um then actually learn about my history as an lgbtq person because a lot of that is not cool i had no idea about stonewall riots um and all of that because i was never taught about it in school and so having pride month was just able to open up different ways for me to actually learn about my history and um, how I am able to actually have rights today. Thank you, thank you. And and would you mind introducing yourself for our viewers? Oh, I'm Billy and I'm a um, graduating senior. Thank you. Welcome, Susie. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dr. Be Well. So tell us uh, uh, to who you are and why is Pride Month important to you? Um, yeah, so I'm Susie Walters. I just graduated from Wesleyan High School and I'm going to be a freshman at the University of Oregon. And I was the president of the Wesleyan GSA. Um, Pride Month is really important to me. Uh, as Finn said, it's uh, a month to remember and commemorate uh, the history that we share and also the lives that were lost. And, um, you know, the people who kind of sacrificed everything so that we could stand and be who we are today. 
especially 51 years ago at Stonewall Riots, um, and especially uh, queer Black people who specifically were targeted and harassed a lot more than our white peers. Um, I think today, in terms of 2020, I think uh, about community and how oftentimes a lot of us do not, like, can't feel like connected to our community, don't have access to be connected to our community. And Pride is a time where everyone can kind of come together and be like, it's okay, just for right now, we can come together. And a lot of people secretly go to Pride events. A lot of people secretly join, you know, Pride, uh, you know, um, events like this, where it's, you can come in and you can be anonymous or you could go to a parade and you can blend in with the crowd or you can just kind of be yourself for a day that you can't really be yourself at any other time of the year. So I think it's a, it's a really special time uh, of the year and it's a really important time of the year for many queer people, not only people who are, you know, out or people who are, you know, proud of who they are. It's a time for everyone to be able to come together and really celebrate what it means to be us and what it means to live in our world right now and what it meant to live in our world 50 years ago and what it meant to live in our world 100 years ago. You know, when you think about pride in the context and, and LGBTQ issues uh, in the context of Black Lives Matter and the movement with Black Lives Matter, is there an intersection between the two? I'll take that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. um, there it's yeah, I think we I think we all agree there is an absolute intersectionality because, um, you know, the Stonewall riots were mentioned, the, the events in June's of the past that led to what Pride Month is today. Um, black trans women were at the forefront of that movement. Um, we owe everything to heroes like Marsha P. Johnson. Um, who uh, who were able to valiantly step step up in a world that had the odds stuck, stuck, stacked up against them in more than one way. Um, and I think that, you know, when we think about, you know, I think that LGBT people have a different perspective. I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion right now with the Black Lives Matter movement about is rioting effective? Um, does it work? Whatever. I think that LGBT people, LGBT people have a different perspective on that because we know, um, those of us that know our history well know that, like we said, our rights come, we are, they're rooted in rioting um, and stepping up against the system that simply will not listen. So I think absolutely there is a lot of intersectionality between the two movements. And I think now is a really um, important time more than ever to recognize the accomplishments of Black LGBT people in our movement. Anything, Dad? Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot of intersectionality because not only are um, like the LGBT communities and the Black communities like very intertwined with working together to um, fight oppression and um, work with each other, but there is also um, a large part of both communities that have problems with each other. There's a large part of the LGBT community that is racist. There's a large part of the Black community that is homophobic and transphobic. And if we just ignore that um, oppression still does exist within these groups, even though they are collectively fighting for the same goal, they still have their own um, 
disagreements in their own opinions within those groups and we need to be understanding of um like again especially with like black queer people black trans women um they are very very commonly targeted by their own community and um they don't feel safe in their community specifically because they are trans women but they can't leave the community because they are black if they leave the community they will probably be hate crime again and it's a very isolating position for these people because they suddenly feel like then they have nowhere that they could go wow well and i i think also police brutality is uh and it's an important fight for everyone but i think it's it's especially our fight as well because you know stonewall right rooted in that Marsha P. Johnson, these people were being arrested for going to um, a drag club and it was police brutality. They were, they were hitting these people. They were shoving them in the back of police cars. They were like publicly harassing them publicly, uh, you know, like, like just treating them like garbage. Like it was, they were like pulling them out of his club mocking them and then hitting them and then shoving them in the, black, the back of a police car. And so it's, it's, and we still see that uh, in the queer community today, we have a large sectionality of our police force is homophobic. A large section of our police force is transphobic. And our police force is systemically rooted in racism. And that hurts everyone. It hurts everyone. And so I think it's, it's everyone's fight, but it's just as much our fight as queer people to stand with Black Lives Matter and make sure that we end police brutality, make sure that we end racism because all black lives matter. Wow. Very powerful, very, very powerful thoughts. And it makes me think about, you know, what are the issues the LGBTQ community faces in 2020? What are the things that, that you feel are still undone? Um, I was... Uh... Sorry, I was uh, thinking about it. I've, I've been thinking about it this year a lot, um, as I'm sure you guys know. Uh, and I think there is just as much written in transphobia and homophobia in our systems, our school systems, our education systems, our political systems, our police systems. I think, uh, I think you know, our country was built by white men, rich white men to keep rich white men in power. And unfortunately, that means making sure that uh, lower class people, uh, queer people, not white people, can't rise to power, can't find a way to move through the system without major uh, repercussion, pushback. Um, oftentimes, it can lead to uh, death, as we've seen. And I think, um, I think, you know, uh, a lot, the large part of, I think it's 60% of um, trans people uh, are depressed, right? And I think there's, I think it's, it's like 40% commit suicide. And if they're black trans people, 60%. Uh, I think we have a system that while people don't want to look at it and while pe it's not 
as a, I don't know, it's like, it's apparent, it's there, but it's treated by our society to be some invisible force of oppression, like it's a singular one person thing, because oftentimes uh, our oppression is linked with religion. And so it's something that people don't want to address, it's something people don't want to talk about, but unfortunately it leads to people dying. Like we have a lot of queer people who die every day. And I think, you know, we've already lost a generation of queer people during the AIDS crisis. Like that was a calculated purposeful move. We lost an entire generation and we don't have those people to look to anymore. It's the reason why Generation uh, Generation Z, <laughs> Gen Z, yeah, is so loud and uh, kind of the forefront of this and why people think of Generation Z when they think of queer people is because a lot of Gen X and a lot of Boomer queer people were killed in the AIDS crisis. So we don't really have that generation to look to. We don't really have those people to look to for uh, support or advice because there's not really many of them left and they don't really know what to do because during that time period, it was just like such a time of trauma and such a time of despair that, you know, it's really our job now to kind of pick that up and make sure that we root through our systems and we make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. And something that I fear for every day is what is going to happen next and that everyone turns a blind eye and our entire generation is wiped out. It happens almost every other generation and it has been for thousands of years. Um, so it is, uh, it's apparent in all of our systems, but it's something that is invisible and we don't really talk about it. So it's in our school system. It's something that I fought for this year. Uh, it's in our education system. It's definitely in our police system. Uh, it's in workforce. It's in trying to buy a house. It's, you know, and it's something that queer people don't talk about because they're afraid of raising these concerns because they're afraid of, you know, like their community and not the queer community, but their, their actual living community. It's not safe for people to exist and be queer right now. And it hasn't been really ever. And I think it's, we pretend that we're safe, but we're not. Yeah. yeah, I feel like a big part of it is that um, a lot of people in America, I feel like, just have this sort of false sense of, like, safetyhood of, like, you know, we already went through all these um, protests and stuff to get queer people their rights. We already went through all those rights, all that shit, so we're done with it homophobia transphobia it's all from the past we're fine let's let's move on it's like okay no at a systemic level yes they've um lessened homophobia and transphobia and stuff like that but then the next problem is going down to the community level and the people that you are actually living around because there's still large, large pockets of people that are very homophobic and transphobic and will very gladly just straight up kill someone because they don't like the way they look. Absolutely. And that's that's not really something that a like law or policy can change. Absolutely. Like we already have um, like laws that they don't murder people, don't commit random crimes. People still do it because they just hate. Right, absolutely. Well, and I think yeah. I think even then there are, oh, sorry. There oh, are loopholes to that where it's, yeah. it's like uh, in California for a long time, it was um, gay panic. So you could, uh, 
and you could kill you could so you could kill a gay person or a queer person and then in a court of law you could say i was just so surprised that they were queer something came over me and that oftentimes i was just so surprised they were straight that's still legal in oregon what? That's still a, that's still a legal defense here. You can use gay. It's still a legal defense in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Say more about that. So you know, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm not a lawyer, um, but you know, if, if you if you do look in Oregon's laws, um, the gay panic defense is it's a system set in by straight people um, that justifies our killing for no good reason, and I think you know, I mean, to to stay on this question. Robin, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very blunt with you here, and I'll make the disclaimer that what I'm about to say doesn't represent the beliefs of Providence, whatever necessarily. Right. This current administration um, is one of the biggest challenges that the LGBT community in America faces. The Trump administration is actively attacking trans people in America today. Um, you know, I think right now is a really scary time for LGBT people right now because. Um, we're watching our rights being systemically taken away in a way that voters do not control. Um, things, uh, pl- people that the president puts in power, we're talking to Supreme Court, federal judges. Um, we're, we're watching slowly um, all of the work that we've done over the past decades slowly drip down the drain as we're, as we're pulled back into um, an era where it's scary to be LGBT in America again. Um, and that's that's really what I have to contribute to this question is that, um, well, unfortunately, being LGBT is a political issue. It is that is how it that is how it's gone down. And right now, uh, American LGBT people are facing a really, really, really difficult time. Um, and as an individual, I would encourage voters to consider that in twenty twenty. That right there is, I think, a statement that definitely everybody can agree with. Voting in this election, and we talked about this last week when we were talking about Black Lives Matter, becomes a life and death issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what I hear you saying. Thank you all for giving such great voice to that, because it kind of leads me to the question of, so you all obviously are are out, um, and you're comfortable with that. um, Mm -hmm. That's part of why you're, you know. You're out and you're, and you're proud. What advice do you give to a team who isn't out, who's sitting in, you know, this thick of it's a renewed fight. Um, mm-hmm. It's easier to stay in the closet right now, perhaps. How do you talk to somebody? What advice do you give to somebody to help them feel safe, feel that they can come out, feel um, even if they're living in a non-supportive home? Right. I would say. We're all ready. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. I would say wait until you're safe. Uh, if you do not feel safe to come out right now, um, if it's if it's safer for you to stay in the closet, I would tell you to say stay in the closet for right now. And I would wait until you find independence or you find that part of yourself in which you are ready. But pushing yourself to come out before you're ready uh, hurts more than it than it helps. And I think you should find um, you should find some people who are queer. You should find a community if that's safe for you. You should find people who are like you, and you should have conversations with them. And you should 
have friends, like become friends with them. You should have friends that are queer. You should have a community that is queer. Um, you should have a support system for when you come out or if you come out, you have someone to go to, you have someone to fall back on because it's really scary to come out. And if you know that you are not living in a supportive home or you are not living in a supportive area, uh, you should wait until you're out of that home or out of that area because that's, I, your safety is number one uh, for everyone, all queer people. Your safety is number one. We all care about you. We want to make sure you're safe first. And uh, I'm letting you know if you're looking for a sign to leave and if you're looking for a sign thinking like, oh, just because I live in a homophobic community or I live in a homophobic household, like it's it's fine. That's like a normal thing. It's not a normal thing. It's an abusive space for you. It's a mentally harming space for you. And if you're looking for a sign to leave, this is it. You need to get out of that space. You need to find a safe space for yourself because this isn't something you can change about yourself. This isn't something that's going to go away. So I need you to find somewhere where you feel like you're able to come out, uh, find a place where you're safe to come out, find people who you know will be there for you, find people you know will take care of you, um, find a trusted adult. There are multiple, uh, multiple um, help, help lines, uh, safe places in Portland and in Oregon, uh, find those places, um, but make sure you're safe before you come out. It's don't rush into it. Absolutely. That's that's very well said, Susie. And um, I love that you mentioned helplines because um, for those of you that are viewing, if you look down at the scrolling bar at the bottom, you'll see um, oh my the God, line for, <laughs> for our youth for our youth viewers. Youthline here, based in Oregon, um, is a really excellent resource. I can personally vouch for it as a volunteer there. Um, this is a really hard time. Um, you know, we we've been talking about intersectionality. You know the Black Lives Matter movement, even the coronavirus pandemic canceling our pride festivals, where as an LGBT person I know is one of the only days out of the year or two days, depending on how often you go, that LGBT people can feel normal and accepted um, in, certain, in certain facets of our society. Um, that's really hard. And if you are at all struggling with the loss of those festivals, that is absolutely understandable and valid. And there is help available, like Susie mentioned. And I think, you know, to speak to the question, um, I received I received really good advice from an older LGBT person a couple years ago um, when I was in the closet and struggling to come out and feeling that pressure, because I think that the pressure is there um, within the LGBT community and outside of it, that coming out is this big thing that you need to do, that you'll only ever be happy when you come out. And while it's true that when you do come out, you, uh, you reach a level of comfort within yourself, um, that is not usually attainable when you're in the closet. Um, I think that every LGBT person who is in the closet needs to hear that there is no pressure to come out right now. There's no pressure to come out today or tomorrow or within the next hour or maybe even within the next year if that's not where you are right now. Because you will know when the time is right. And like Susie said, when you are safe. And if you're not safe and in that moment, then it's not going to be a rewarding experience that everybody talks about it to be. Um, so that that's my advice is that if you are not feeling like you're ready to come out, don't feel that, don't succumb to that pressure that you feel even from within the community because it's not gonna be this great big thing until you're ready. Yeah, there is honestly no um, pressure to come out, like especially with um, the state of the world right now um and like you see everything going on in the news and also being um 
quarantined at home, maybe you're just constantly stuck around people that you don't feel very comfortable with. You don't have to come out right now. There's no like set time for you to come out. It's really just up to you whenever you feel Yes, I noticed that, Allison. Thank you. Um, it's really just up to you whenever you feel um, comfortable enough with yourself and the people you're around. Um, and I said another thing is you don't have to, you come out doesn't have to be like this big, big thing. Like it doesn't have to be a big, massive um, celebration where you have like a party and everything. It can, really be just whatever you want. When I came out to my mother, I texted her at like 11.30 or something um, because I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Um, and that's just the way that I was comfortable with coming out. So there's no specific way or time you have to do it. It's just however you want to come out when you come out. It's like a little sock falling out of the closet. Whoop, okay. Like a sock falling out of the closet. Um, yeah. It's like, yo, it doesn't have to be planned or anything, but maybe if the sock falls out, there's like a bunch of other clothes and it's like a big little closet party. And maybe just a single sock falls out and you're like, oh, nice. I like this. <laughs> yeah. Like a sock falling out of the closet. I'm going to sit with that one for a minute, but I want to go back to something. <laughs> In the context of today, because we're going to go dark in a little bit here, in the context of today, we're in the middle of the Black Lives Movement, but we're also in the middle of a pandemic. And for people in the LGBTQ community, you've already been through a pandemic, as Susie mentioned, um, talking about the AIDS crisis that took out an entire generation. Well, I'm of that generation. And when I was in college, uh, many of my best friends were um, homosexuals. They were gay men. And I lost many friends in the AIDS crisis. Many of my friends um, didn't make it out to Susie's point earlier. And I watched the parallels. I went back and reread, there's a, a great book called And the Band Played On. And And the Band Played On tells the story of the AIDS crisis uh, back from the time when, when we didn't know what it was and then you know takes it all the way back to Fire Island and takes it all the way back to Patient One and some of the theories they had around that. And the stigma that happened to the LGBTQ community uh, because people would get the gay disease. At one point, it was even called gay-related immune deficiency disorder, GRID. That was one of the early names for, for uh, HIV. And what we know now, obviously, uh, we know a lot more about HIV. We know that it's not a gay disease. That's not, that's not it. But that stigma takes time. Do you see parallels? in this pandemic now between what you know about that HIV history and how does how does this pandemic and COVID-19 have impact uh, in the LGBTQ world? You know, I think I think that right now um, it's it's just a really um, exemplary time when we're talking about racism and pandemics and LGBT people because Ultimately, they're all part of the same puzzle. You know, we talk about how you brought up an excellent point, Dr. Robin, that during the AIDS crisis, um, there was no, no, and I, I repeat, no action taken until the first discovery was made that a straight person could obtain this disease. 
And I think that a similar effect uh, occurred with East Asian peoples and the coronavirus pandemic. I think that at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, um, we saw an immense amount of racism towards East Asian people. I think of my colleagues on the Be Well Advisory Board, uh, like Kelly Park and um, and Vivian, who have been so so um, vocal about that issue. Um, and while I think that it has um, it has subsided in some uh, in some instance, um, we still do have people such as our president referring to it as the Wuhan virus, as if that is the only place where the virus is affecting it. Um, and we are we did see a, an astronomical amount of inaction until we discovered that surprisingly white people could get this disease uh the majority in power could get this disease it's uh, it's impossible i know um and i think that it's just a really it, it it's a really great time to point out that the the people in power wherever you are the the, the majority will always um, will always prioritize themselves um, and they will only start caring about something when it starts to affect them. Um, yeah, and I would add to that, that was really... Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm lagging a little bit, so whenever I I talk, I actually interrupt <laughs> you all. <laughs> That's how this works, go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, that was a really incredible uh, point. I think that was very poignant, uh, Finn. And I would I would add um, that I think it is also a lot harder to receive adequate adequate health care when you aren't white in America, especially if you are a Black American. You do not receive adequate or uh, equal or equitable health care. And I think during this pandemic and during the Black Lives Matter movement, it, this needs to be highlighted and this needs to be brought forth and we need to make sure that this changes because we can't continue to allow uh, Black people to die from from preventable diseases and from preventable injuries because they go to seek health care uh, and they're told that like they're fine and that they need to you know suck it up. And I think it's, you know, a lot of uh, Black Americans are disillusioned with our healthcare system, and so they don't even really seek healthcare, or um, they don't seek medical advice because they feel like if they go and they are right, if they go, oftentimes they are met with racism and are met with, um, uh, you know, they're disregarded. Um, and I think you know this pandemic has highlighted a lot of issues with our with our systemic kind of approach to healthcare in our country. Um, it's ridiculous that our president is calling this virus uh, the Kung flu. That's so, first of all, uh, offensive, like disgusting, like so horrible that we have, that that is representative of our country and of our, our people and like who we are to, to the world. Um, and I think uh, the, this pandemic has highlighted that we have an issue with um, we have an issue with uh, racism in our healthcare, sexism in our healthcare, and uh, homophobia and transphobia in our healthcare. Um, that we need to make sure that we are uh, trying to bring bring. Oh, sorry. 
to light and uh, sorry, I just got into that was like, oh, you're fit, like your thing. Sorry, but um, I think we need to be very vocal about this aspect because uh, healthcare is a very important part of you know being a person. Like we need to make sure that we are healthy and receiving you know adequate and um, accurate you know uh, health provider provi providing I don't know how to word this but what I'm trying to get is that we need to we need to be just as critical of our healthcare system as we are of uh, all of our other systems in America I think that's an important piece that really is not is not brought into discussion often but needs to be brought into discussion that's a really great point yeah I'd say the um Really just the main thing I've noticed with COVID is just um, how often people try to people try to make it sound like the virus just came from this one place is the fault of this one way they just run group of people and it's it's just really really shocking that people still try to say that because like it would have been more understandable um like 70 years ago or something if we didn't have like more furthered science technology to actually study these viruses and stuff and then people would just make their own dumb assumptions but like even now with all of the scientific evidence that goes with showing that covid is just a virus and that all these viruses are just viruses people still immediately try to pin all the blame onto one group of people and turn a whole pandemic into a political agenda. Just like they did with AIDS. Well, and I think that's, I think that's not just, ooh, sorry. I think that's not just, um, that's not just an American thing. I think uh, another example that I was just thinking of um, that directly relates to LGBTQ people is um, in South Korea, their COVID response and, uh, was you know, kind of causing it to die down and they were reopening and everything was sort of going back to normal. And then there was a huge outbreak that stemmed from uh, a gay club and it stemmed into this huge kind of uh, COVID is a gay disease. Um, like they started, they, they like were finding people, there are pictures of people who are in that club and doxing people and outing people. Uh, and it was this whole kind of like example of like, um, this isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't an American issue, it's a global issue. Um, we as people and as human beings, for some reason, want to find a way to uh, blame people for, you know, things that can't really be blamed or things that aren't like, I don't know, like it's, it's finding validity in hating on a class of people. And it's trying to, it's trying to uphold your own beliefs on those people and be like, well, I was right. Like gay people spread the disease. You know, it's, it's unfortunate and it's not really fair. You know, the thing that, that just is so refreshing 
um, in this entire conversation. You all are very well read on the history of LGBTQ, uh, which to, I think, a very early point that Finn made, isn't really discussed at all uh, in school, isn't brought up at all, uh, isn't something people are familiar with. There are um, parents who are going to listen to this show and probably have just heard things for the first time that they hadn't really considered, and they may be parents of kids who are LGBTQ. Um, what advice would you give to parents, uh, you know, to how parents um, can support their LGBTQ kids, what advice would you give them? Lately, just don't question anything your kid does. Like, whether your kid, however your kid fucking, that, I'm sorry, however your kid hacking, <laughs> however your kid dresses, whoever they're attracted to, it's none of your business. And, um, and like, it's not something that you should be like pestering them about or like constantly ask them over and over, ooh, when are you going to get a girlfriend? When are you going to get a boyfriend? Um, like, <laughs> um, just let your kid be your kid and let them express themselves however they want to because then they will feel comfortable enough to bring that expression around you and talk to you about it because they understand that you are then a safe non-judgmental space and they're already getting judged by everyone else in the world yeah that's that's very good um and i think you know that that i'm really i'm really hopeful um that there are parents of lgbt children or just parents watching this because i think that there's an important message to understand not just in this time i mean it's really important right now but anytime um you know you've, you've always heard the phrase going around don't assume your kids are straight um and i think that you know we we had a conversation about coming out and what that looks like and how some people aren't ready um, and I think that right now with so much um, so much going on related to LGBTQ people, um, I, I think that my advice to parents of any child is to be careful about how you're, about the dialogue you're having around these issues. Um, I think that for parents of LGBT children that are out, first of all, congratulations on, um, on getting to a point with your kids where they trust you enough to come out. Um, I do, I do want to commend parents who are able to do that because there are a lot of parents who are not. Um, so keep up the great work. <laughs> and uh, I think that the best thing that parents can offer is support during this time. Um, we as we as kids are looking up to you and how you're reacting to this to this pandemic to this movement. Um, and we're going to take influence from that or we're going to disagree with you. Um, I think that a lot of kids are getting especially in our generation, you know, you're seeing our generation have a major forefront position on many of the movements, um, the initiative that's being taken on issues today. And I think that parents of LGBT children need to remember that we don't just know what you tell us. Um, and if you're trying to shelter your kids from what's going on, it's not working. They probably have a cell phone or a computer or a tablet. They've seen the news. So talk to them about it. Ask them if, how they're doing, if they need support. And that's the best thing a parent can do right now. 
And uh, yeah, that was awesome. But uh, <laughs> I would also, I would add, um, once you once you find that, you know, I think it is okay to be kind of uncomfortable at first if you are, are not, if you are uneducated on this matter. I mean, most of us are, like all of us are. We're not taught these things. Uh, we're not taught this in school. We're not taught this in life. This isn't something that most is mostly off your radar if you've lived in a cis straight bubble your whole life. Um, and I know it, it takes people a little bit of time to come to terms with it and to understand, but it you need to find that understanding and come to terms with it sooner than later. It's it's not fair to your kid to keep, you know, pushing and pulling this, like, I still love you and I know you're my kid, but I don't understand. It's, you know, there are many books, there are many resources. Uh, it's better to be educated than it is to just, you know, I think blindly accept, I think it's important to blindly accept because they're your child, but I think it's more powerful and more impactful to educate yourself on what this means and what their history is and what our history is. And now it's your history too, because you're an ally, you're part of this, this is your job. Um, and it's hard and it's, it's going to break a lot of your uh, ideas of what our society is like, and it's going to kind of disillusion you to a lot of things, but that's really important. And that's really uh, needed. And I think it's, something that you should do to support your child. I think if you feel comfortable and I really am urging parents, this is a lot more, this is a national issue. This is a global issue, but this is also an extremely local issue. Uh, your child is not in charge of being a, an advocate just because they are queer. It's your job as the adult to take on a lot of that responsibility and to help them and to speak out for them. Um, if they're a teen and they've just come out, they're not comfortable, you know, they obviously have not felt comfortable in their life and they obviously have been going through hardships. I know probably everyone in this, you know, space has gone through hardships at school, in their community, uh, at work. It's something that we face every day. It's something that's kind of a fact of our life. Um, and that's something you can change as a parent. That's something you can change as an adult. Uh, you need to go to your school districts. You need to go to your school boards and you need to have a conversation with them about what it's like to be queer in school. You need to tell them, I am a parent of a queer person. This is important to me and I want to see change and I want to see active change. And you need to be on top of that. You need to join organizations like PFLAG. You need to go to your local government. You need to talk to your city councils and your mayors and you need to ask them what it what are you going to do to help queer people in your community? You need to go to your, maybe your state government, go to your state capital and say, what's it like to be queer? Like gay panic is still a legal defense in Oregon. That's an issue. You, like we learned that today. That's an issue. You could go to your like state government right now and say, why is this legal? Like it's your job as a parent, not only to accept your kid and to be happy that your kid is comfortable with you, but it's also your job to advocate for them and to help them and to make sure that they are safe in the world. You know, so that's I love my, it. your call to action. I just laid it out for you. <laughs> I, I know. I, I love it when we say call to action like that because that's that is brilliant. I mean, the calls to action in this are definitely get out, participate in the governmental system, vote, vote, vote. Can't say it enough. Um, vote. And vote for people who believe in the things that you believe in that that Black Lives Matter, that um, LGBTQ rights. LGBTQ lives matter. And uh, thank you all for, for sharing so much with us today and being um, so vulnerable and also educating 
so many people who, who really uh, haven't had an opportunity uh, to hear from young people. I would be remiss if I didn't, didn't close out uh, with one last round to ask you as young LBTQ activists, uh, how do you take care of your mental health and what is your best advice for taking care of your mental health during a pandemic, during Pride Month that didn't get to happen, during Black Lives Matter protests, but most importantly, how do you take care of yourself and your mental health? Go. So, yeah, I mean, self-care can look so different for so many people. Um, you know, I, I am lucky enough to have a really supportive group of friends and family um, that all support me and what I'm doing. And so for me, self-care looks like reaching out to those people and having having conversations and, um, and, and feeling safe in my environment and being able to step back from this for a while. For others, if, you know, if, if that's something that's not as accessible, I could see also helping to turn off the social media. I know a lot of people, a lot of really close friends and colleagues that I've worked with in the, in the movement who have deactivated. Um, a lot of social media uh, platforms give you the option to temporarily deactivate your account so that it's not even, it doesn't even show up. And you can always reactivate it, but that gives you just another layer of separation so that you can say, okay, I need to step back for a little bit. And for others, you know, I tell this, I tell this to people on the, on the youth line all the time, uh, at the bare minimum, even a shower, a bath, washing your face, brushing your teeth can be instrumental in self-care and getting to that point where you're feeling refreshed and ready to tackle the day again. So finding what works for you. Yeah, I've noticed that what works for me um, is that, like, just being stuck inside um, and, I don't know, just being trapped inside for so long makes me very tense and, like, antsy and um, very easily angry. Um, I've actually found that when I go out to protest and I'm able to just yell and march for, like, an hour and a half, that really helps get my energy out. Productive use of, of excess energy. I like that. Susie, how about you? Uh, I find a lot of solace in being with my family. And I know that's not true for a lot of queer people. I know a lot of queer people don't have, you know, that same relationship with their family. But I am very lucky that I get to come home and I get to be with people who love me and take care of me no matter what. Um, and it's... it's uh, this pandemic's been very hard and it's been difficult. And I like, you know, it's been hard for everyone, but I'm very, like, I'm so lucky and I feel so grateful that I um, am with my family and I am able to be with the family that I have. Uh, unlike a lot of other people who are other, either separated from their family or their family is not a safe place for them. Um, I'm lucky that my safe place is my family and my home. Uh, and I've also been able to stay in contact with friends. Um, and that's been very, you know, it's a large part of pride for me is the community. And I was still able to reach out to my friends and those people because I already had a network of queer people. So I've already kind of gotten to celebrate pride with those people, um, with my family. Um, and I think a lot of us felt 
the pride movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, it's it's we need to we need to go out there and we need to show, show solidarity. And we, this is this is important. And it's not as much a celebration as it is the original riot. It's we need to make sure that everyone is safe and everyone is like okay and able to be who they are, regardless of anything in our country. It's ridiculous that that's not something that is already there. Um, and I think, you know, one message is because my, th- my, my, my mental health, my recuperation thing has been being with my family. I think uh, it's important for me to say that family doesn't have to be blood. It doesn't have to be uh, your direct immediate family. It doesn't have to be your mom or your dad. And if you're looking for a sign of, do I call these people family anymore? This is it. You don't have to. It's not, there's no shame in that. Uh, your family could be your best friend. Your family could be your pets. Your family could be, you know, it could be anything. It could be a book. It could be, you know, it doesn't have to be the people who gave birth to you or the people who raised you. It can be someone who loves you or something that you, that takes care of you and makes sure that you're happy with who you are. Uh, and I think that's, I think that does great for your mental health. I think that's how I've been getting by is that I feel really safe and happy to be me here. And so you find that place. That's, that's really important. That's, yeah. Thank you. I think that's a great place to wrap. And I want to thank you very brave teens for sharing your truth on Talk To Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. If you need help, as Finn said, uh, reach out to the youth line. Uh, the number will be scrolling on our screen throughout the broadcast. And, you know, if you're also looking for help, you can go to our website, www.providence.org. You can also find specific information about youth mental health, including more information about what we talked about today on our website at www.work2bewell. That's work, the number two, bewell.org. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week. This is Talk to Be Well, and I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. Have a good day.